to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Today, it is my absolute delight to bring to you a guest who truly in my heart and soul when I met him a few years ago felt like a brother from another mother. So this is my BFAM, Jonathan Fields, who truly inspires possibility. He's a New York City dad, husband, award-winning author, serial entrepreneur, teacher, and strategist, and he founded a number of game-changing wellness companies. He's taught thousands of students and led workshops around the world on everything from yoga and mindfulness to conscious entrepreneurship and innovation. His new book, How to Live a Good Life, Soulful Stories, Surprising Science, and Practical Wisdom, offers a gateway to a life of meaning, connection, and vitality. Jonathan, that means your book is a bit of a gateway drug. And to celebrate the book's release and inspire early interest, Jonathan's doing something that I just think is so cool, which is pretty much everything he does is so cool. He inspires delight. He inspires amazing laughter and joy. And he thinks about our planet. And one of the things he's doing, in addition to offering fantastic pre-order bonuses, is that he's teamed up with One Tree Planted, which is a foundation. And his goal is to plant a 10,000 tree good life forest. So when you pre-order your copy of the book, which I hope you will do, you'll also be sponsoring a tree and doing good for the planet and for you. And you can get all the details for that at goodlifeproject.com forward slash book. Now, working with his wife and a world-class faculty, Jonathan, in addition to writing this book, runs mission-driven media and education venture Good Life Project, where they produce a top-rated podcast channel and video series with hundreds of thousands of followers and millions of views and downloads. Good Life Project also offers in-person and online events, which is how Jonathan and I met in a hotel room. He was interviewing me in person. And he offers trainings, including a 400-person camp GLP gathering, which happens every year. Jonathan also regularly keynotes at events, has been featured widely in the media, including the New York Times, USA Today, People, O Magazine, Vogue, Elle, Yoga Journal, Self, Allure, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Business Week, Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, and thousands of other places that sound cool but don't impress his daughter all that much. You know, Jonathan's book is delightful and it's inspired an enormous amount of change in my life, which I'm going to share with you and which Jonathan knows a little bit about. How to Live a Good Life is a practical and provocative modern day manual for a life well lived. And knowing Jonathan, I can say this man walks his talk. It's drawn from an intersection of science, spirituality, and Jonathan's years-long quest to learn at the feet of world-renowned masters from nearly every tradition. This book offers a simple yet stunningly powerful tool for life, the good life buckets. It also walks you through 30 days of fun, powerful mini challenges designed to rekindle deep, loving, and compassionate relationships, cultivate vitality, radiance, and graceful ease, and leave you feeling lit up by the way you contribute to the world. You know, I Jonathan sent me an early copy of the book. I guess it's a, like a kind of a galley copy. 
And I, well, first I texted Jonathan really late one night and told him he had a typo. And it was really late, and I texted him and said that there was a typo, and it was right next to the word sex in, in the book. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and I was like, okay, just tell Stephanie there really is a typo. This is not like some weird kinky email <laughs> that I'm text message. But, but what, I, what I really um, shared with Jonathan was that I felt like this book is so – it's a game changer because it's so – profoundly elegant and you can do all 30 challenges or you can pick one and any one of them will change your life. So Jonathan, thank you for joining me. I love you. I'm so glad you're here on this planet really and here on the podcast with me. You know, it's so great to be hanging out. And oh my gosh, after that introduction, <laughs> like my, I have like a full body blush right now. I'm like, I can never live up to that. Aww, you do. You know what? Um, one day I was on my way to get my hair cut and colored. Yes, I do that. It is a Veda salon. And I, I had Jonathan's book with me and Jonathan, I texted you and I said, I took a picture of this quote from your book and it says, there is nothing I would not do for those who are really my friends. I have no notion of loving people by halves. It is not my nature. It's from Jane Austen's book, Northern Abbey. And I, I took a picture of that and I sent it to Jonathan and I said, you know, this is just exactly why. I love you so much and you give so fully, you give so much love in your life. And now you've got this book, which is, is really inspiring. And I, I want to, I want to get to the buckets. I really want to focus on the buckets today. And when you guys get your copy of the, how to live a good life book, you're going to see there's a big bucket on the cover and it's not a bucket list. It's a different way of thinking about buckets. So what happened for me, JF, is that I had this book on my I call it my cafe. It's a little sun porch where I go and do my work when I pretend that I, I'm not at my office and in my desk, I just go out to the sun porch. And so it's my cafe. <laughs> and I kept looking at this bucket and I, I was really in a very overwhelming place in my life. As you know, I wrote the adrenal book with like all humor and irony in 12, 12 weeks, which is coming out in January. And I was feeling pretty like, okay, I need to really evaluate my life and what is important to me and how I'm using my time and, and my energy. And uh, that bucket, the bucket on the book cover just kept looking right at me and I kept looking right back at it. And I thought, you know what, it's somehow by osmosis, this concept of buckets. And, and, and we've talked about the buckets before. And I picked three buckets in my life before I even read your book that were important to me. And I made a decision that everything I do in my life needs to be sort of sorted like a little Harry Potter-ish into, it has to either fill one of those buckets or not deplete the bucket. And the buckets were my, you know, my work life and my financial life and my service life. That's like one bucket. And then one bucket was my personal time for myself, actually making time for self-care. And then the third bucket was community, my family, my friends. And so now whenever I have a decision, you know, can you do this podcast? Can you do this interview? Can you come to this conference? Is it adding to or taking away from any of those buckets or is it filling those buckets? Talk to me about how the concept of the buckets came to you and what it, what it means to you and what you would hope it means to readers. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the buckets were an evolution for sure. I mean, we're similar in so many ways in that you know, we we're, we're both spend pretty much our adult lives seeking, trying to find answers. So what does it really mean to live well on the planet? What are the ingredients, the pieces of the puzzle? And along the way, you know, I've explored so many different ideas, talked to so many different people, studied so many different texts and, and traditions and paths. 
And, um, and what I found was a lot of amazing answers, like great information out there, and also a lot of complexity, a lot of sort of the demand to buy into certain belief systems. And I was like, you know, there's great stuff out here. But what I felt my job was, was to take a lot of wisdom that that's often multi-layered and complex and and delivered only within a particular path and really simplify it. You know, create a simple model where you could hear it once, you remember it for life, and then it was actionable. It would actually guide your behaviors. And I, so I started working with all sorts of different ways to do that and to share it. And, and, um, and it, you know, it started out really complex and complicated with flow maps and charts. And, and it took years, literally, to just keep distilling. And I was like, no, simplify, simplify, simplify. What people need now in their lives is not something else where they have to do work to figure out what to do. What they need is something where somebody else has done the work to figure it out and then figured out how to share it in a way that was so simple, it was almost impossible to justify not taking action on it. And that's where I kind of finally landed on this idea of, of three simple buckets. You know, and and the buckets that I look at, I, I call vitality, and uh, connection, and contribution. And vitality is really simply, it's just, it's about the state of your mind and your body. And I look at those as a you know a seamless feedback mechanism, because they are they're they're not two separate things. And your connection bucket, well, that's really just about cultivating relationships. And those are, you know, it's relationships first with yourself because we're so many of us are profoundly sort of unaware of just really who we are and what we need. And then potentially with an intimate partner, with close friends, with family, with like-minded community. And then if it's something that's meaningful to you, to something bigger than you, a sense of source or God or spirit or universe, however you may define it. And then the third bucket, really simply, is is contribution. It's and that's really about how am I contributing to the world? How am I bringing my gifts and my strengths and my beliefs and the essence of who I am, my my unique voice and lens on the world? How am I offering those to the world? And sometimes, you know, we equate that with the word work, and um, and you could call it that, but I'm also really careful not to say that it has to be the thing that you actually get paid to do because sometimes you know we're really fortunate and that is the thing that we actually do as our full-time living but other times it's actually not it's the thing that we do you know five to nine or on the weekends and that can be a profoundly rewarding approach to uh, filling your contribution bucket too so it's this really simple model where you know you just think to yourself like you said you kind of you do a really quick snapshot on any given day when you wake up and you're just kind of like huh you know, one to 10, how full are each of the three buckets? And where do I need to really focus my, my energies today to, to be feeling better? And um, the other thing about the, the model is I love it because it treats living a good life as a daily practice and not as like a place at which you arrive or a big disruptive event, you know? So it sort of, it tells people that you can actually start this today. And you can just, you know, treat it as a daily practice, a little bit every day, a, a little bit of filling these three buckets every day. And over time, it adds up to a really beautiful experience, sometimes without you even really having to, like, noticing. You're just doing these little things. A lot of times they're really fun things. I think it's actually, you know, it's. In, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. It's, it's, it's really similar to the way that you approach health and wellness also, but you know, you do it in a much more granular way and sort of like with, you know, based steeped much more in your medical background. 
So you have so many quotes in this book. I love the quotes. And, um, but my, <laughs> my favorite quote in the book actually comes, or one of my favorites comes early on. And I think I love this quote so much, which is Annie Dillard saying, a good life is made of a series mm. of good days starting with today. Can I tell you, it actually gives me chills when I say that out loud. Because what I find is that I remember taking a course, uh, it was a Harvard course for a week on mind-body medicine. And one of the teachers said that it's something like we spend like 40% of our lives worrying about 40% of our waking consciousness is worried about the past. 50% of it is worried about the future. And only about 10% of it is actually in the present. And yet, when we're in the present, it's really mm. when we're able to take stock of those of that one to 10, right? To me, the one to 10 is sort of like, how am I feeling in my body? Is my mind at peace? What's jogging my mind to be out of peace? How, what's going on in my life? Am I in overwhelm? But I, I think what I love about this quote is that it's, it's one, it's very simple, right? It is we want to have a good life. And what does that mean to us? It's something that we create along the way, but you can start at any time, right? It's not like the past or the future is your burden. It's just, you can just start today. And I, I, the simplicity and elegance of this book, is, it's just, I can't even express it to you guys who are listening enough. I mean, you could pick up one, any page, you could open up any page and find something inspiring for your life. I guess, you know, for me, Jonathan, the question that comes to me is what, what is it that of the book, what about the book or what aspect of the book grabs you the most that inspires you the most or that you, that you do every day? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that I thought about a lot and it's actually, and it went into, it went into the decisions that I made in trying to figure out how to structure the book. And, um, and that was, a, that was a really big challenge for me. Um, and so one of the, actually, I think it's the first, you know, when we get to the part of the book where it's a series of 30 days and, and each day there's an idea and a little bit of science and then something to do, the very first one is entitled Wake Up. And the reason for that, and it's all about cultivating awareness, cultivating mindfulness, like really like what you were just talking about, you know, presence in your daily life. And the reason I put that first, even though you don't, like you said, you really don't have to read this in a linear way. You can kind of cherry pick between chapters that just sound interesting. They're all really short and sweet, and each one is actionable and standalone. But the reason I did that one first is because, in my mind, cultivating mindfulness, cultivating present awareness is is like the master unlock key. It's the meta skill that allows everything else to happen. And the reason is this, is because to me, fundamentally... A good life is an intentional life. You know, it's not a reactive life where you wake up in the morning and you just feel like you're getting pummeled and you're just reacting, reacting, reacting. A good life is a life where you sit, you're very, you have a sense of agency. You have a sense of choice. You have, you have this sense of intention with everything that you do. And the thing is, you can't actually be intentional until you're aware, until you're mindful. Because, you know, how can you be intentional if you don't know who you are, you don't know what you want, you don't know what matters, you're not actually present in the moment to understand if the way that you're interacting with the world, with the people in your life, with the work you're doing, with the, the, your body is actually 
serving you or not serving you is, you know, so you can't actually know any of these things until you have a sense of, until you actually drop down, until you have the ability to just kind of touch down in the present moment and just notice, okay, what's going on here? What's not going on? How do I feel? How do I not feel? What matters to me? And am I living from a place of making choices um, that really exalt all these things? You know, that's the thing that lets you be intentional. And then when you're intentional, you start to be able to make choices and take actions that fill all three of these buckets and that really light you up on so many different ways. So for me, that's the thing. That's actually my the single most important daily ritual that I have is my morning meditation practice. So I wake up every day and I roll out of bed and um, and after I grind some coffee beans and and make that happen in the background because, of course, that's a very important ritual too. Um the next thing I do is I sit for 25 minutes every day. Usually it's a 25-minute minimum. It's not unusual for me to just kind of want to be there a bit longer and extend that. But my commitment is for 25 minutes in the morning. And it's just a very simple, seated mindfulness practice where I just really allow my attention to settle into my breath and notice. And um, the cool thing is that what I found is that when you do that, it's not an intervention, but the effect when you cultivate that practice over time Beyond just cultivating sort of this baseline level of stillness and the ability to just calm yourself, you become much less reactive throughout the day. It starts to trickle into all the little moments in the day where, you know, in the past you might have felt, you know, you'd be triggered by something or you just react spontaneously without thinking it through. What you find is that you kind of notice that you're just taking a little bit of extra time and you're zooming the lens out on all these little different moments. You're kind of saying, huh, well, well, that's pretty interesting. You know, like what's really happening here and what would be the way to respond rather than just reacting, knee-jerk reaction, which very often doesn't lead to a good outcome. You know, like you kind of just pause for an extra millisecond. You're like, what would the, the way for me to respond to this intentionally that would lead to the greatest outcome for everybody? And it gives you the ability to actually do that, to be more intentional. And and it really lets you move through the world differently and create your world differently. And people respond to that, I found, also. I'm curious, because I know that you, you've, you, we've talked about meditation also, and I know you've sort of, you've, you've explored practices and meditation practices. Have you noticed that in your own life and the way that your daily practices sort of move, kind of flood throughout the rest of the day too? Absolutely. You know, what I find is that there is a touchstone for me of my own inner sensation. And so just to give you an example of how I describe that inner sensation, actually, a couple of years ago, I had for, you know, for listeners, because Jonathan, you know, the story, um, I had a big breakup with a boss that I was working with, and it, it ended badly. And actually, Jonathan was the first person I called. I don't, we didn't even know each other super well, but something inside me was just like, okay, you're a totally safe person and I can share the story and I know that it was going to be sacred. But what happened for me was instead of being flooded with fear and anxiety and distress, I had this inner experience that I get when I get a very deep massage, when I get um, in a place of deep meditation or some kind of like a transcendental experience, which is, you know, that feeling when you're in your house in an electrical storm and the power goes out, like the electricity goes out and it gets really, really quiet. And all of a sudden you notice the absence of the hum of your refrigerator or the um, hum of the generator or the hum of the electric lights. Like there's a, a stillness. 
And for me, that touchstone is that feeling. And, um, you know, that was actually the feeling I had when I, I got off the phone with you that day was that kind of quietness. And so for me, what I try to do with that practice is anchor that feeling. And the way I describe that feeling is very much oriented toward an experience that I relate to, which is when the electricity goes out, I can call that feeling up in myself. And so, you know, no, I'm not 100% great at it. There can be stress points. I can get in an argument with my husband and I forget to call that feeling up. But but the more I practice, the more that feeling is accessible, that stillness in my body. And when I can ground in that stillness in my body, that seems to reset, you know, whatever we want to call it, reset my stress response, reset my adrenaline, my cortisol. You know, I kind of anchor it in physiologic terms where you anchor it in different, in, in different terms in the book, but we're talking about the same thing. But that's the experience I have. And the more I practice, the more quickly and readily I can call it up. Or as our friend Gabby Bernstein beautifully has described it is when you practice more, you know, when we can go out, like she describes it as going out, like you get really far from yourself when you're in stress or you're in conflict with someone, you can go really far out. And she describes it as practice helps you get go less far out each time and come in faster. Yeah, I like that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's it's just it just it becomes. I like the way you described it too. It's just it feels like the longer you practice, it just it becomes more immediately accessible. Like you can kind of find that, and you become less reactive at least. And it's funny because I didn't really notice this. I you know there wasn't there it wasn't like oh I'm less reactive. I'm you know. It was the thing – it happened over a period of time where I just kind of started to realize, oh, I'm not actually – I'm not responding the same way all the time. And again, of course, I'm, like, I'm human. We're all human. Yes, sometimes we just, we're just grumpy. We have bad days, whatever it is. But I just noticed that overall, especially in circumstances that would have caused me a ton of stress, it might just be dialed down a little bit or I might be thinking it through a little bit. And what I, what I noticed too, which I thought was pretty cool, was that – I started to be able to discern more whether my state of mind was connected to what was going on in my body or what was actually going on with a particular circumstance. So like this, you know, my, my sort of direct experience of this is related to sleep. So I know, you know, if I have, if I happen to have a day or two where I haven't slept well, that that's going to affect me. I'm going to be a little bit cranky and I'm going to be, you know, like I'm going to have a shorter fuse. And, you know, probably for most of my life, I wasn't super keyed into the fact that when I moved through the day after something like that, uh, you know, I was going to be faster to, to respond or to react um, in ways that really didn't have to do with the immediate circumstance, but was just because I was tired. And what, what my practice has done is it's allowed me to, to notice that more. So kind of notice, you know, when I'm in the middle, I'm like, oh, you know, like I, this is such like, this is stressing me out. And I'll just kind of be like, you know what, actually, this really isn't that difficult a conversation. This really isn't such a stressful circumstance. I'm just tired. So just breathe, just let it go right now. Like you get a good night's sleep and come back to it tomorrow. And you can have like a really sort of like a much more constructive resolution around it. And um, so it, it's allowed me to just really I think maybe see more clearly um, what's happening both in my life and almost from the inside out, just what's going on in my mind and body too. Totally. I agree. And, and you know, another thing that's come up for me too is 
really starting to pay attention to how I enjoy feeling. And I think that's part of where the buckets hmm. come in for me so much in my life. I don't like feeling like my life is constantly spinning out of control. Like I'm constantly overwhelmed. Like I'm saying yes to everything because I have FOMO and think, well, if I don't say yes to that, then I'm not going to get this opportunity. And, you know, my book won't make it to the New York Times bestseller list and I won't like eat next week. You know, it's like these ridiculous things that come from our own primal mm -hmm. hardwiring and our own stories. And, um, or I don't like feeling agitated or frustrated or whatever it is. And then I can remember, oh, I actually don't, have to feel this way. And I think so much of our culture is programming us to constantly be in overwhelm. And we expect that that's normal, but we don't, most of us don't like how that feels. Most of us don't like feeling like we're on the constant edge of panic, overwhelm, and even for some people, like burnout and breakdown. And so one of the things that I think having a practice is, and mine is not as disciplined as yours by any means, is it reminds me that there's another way that I can feel and it allows me to call on that feeling. But it also gives me a touch point of recognizing more quickly when I'm not feeling how I want to feel and that I do actually have some agency. You know, I might not have agency over everything that's going on in the world. In fact, I have let go of that illusion for the most part that I actually have control over a lot of what's going on in the world. But I do actually have some level of control over how I respond. And, you know, my research on the whole adrenal response, the stress system starting in our brain, going all the way out to our bodies, pumping out stress hormones, has profoundly also brought me back to a very simple truth that is beautifully substantiated by thousands of years of practice in traditional cultures, but also by science, which is that our breath is truly a gateway back to that agency of feeling how we want to feel. Like just a few deep breaths in and a slightly longer exhale can completely reset the mindset very quickly too. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I'm actually so glad you brought that up. Because it reminds me, what I, what I forget to mention sometimes when I share my morning practice is that the first three minutes of my seated mindfulness practice is actually breath work. It's pranayama, which I you know, like was trained in um, when I studied yoga. And, um, and it does exactly that. It's what I focus is, you know, it's a, I do a particular type of breathing that emphasizes it actually it doubles the length of my exhales so that um, and, and it actually slows down my breathing rate so that I'm actually only breathing three times a minute. Um, and those three minutes are so incredibly stilling for me and calming. And actually, the reason I started doing that is because, as you know, I, I have something called tinnitus where there's a sound in my head that's there 24 seven that's generated by my brain. And, um, and in the beginning, the first year and a half or so, it was devastating to me and I couldn't figure out how to do anything, that w how to live with it really. And the thing that really allowed me to come back home and, and retrain my brain to be okay with it was, was my mindfulness practice. That's why it's so sacred for me. But the thing, but when I first started doing it, I was so anxious the minute I would start to sit because all I would just be surrounded with this sound. I couldn't even focus on my breath and I would start to shake. And what I knew was that exactly what you said, that that breath is really, it's such a powerful access point to your state that, um, and I knew this from yoga practice from pranayama. So 
I, in order to calm myself down just so that I could sit a little bit and meditate, I would do, you know, three, three to five minutes of this breath work where it was just a very gentle, slow, extended exhale. And it would take me out of that anxiety state just enough so that I could then sit and do a little bit of my actual mindfulness practice. And it took months to be able to actually get to a point where, you know, I was settled regularly and I didn't have that anxiety immediately. But it's so it's, it really is incredible. I mean, we've known this for thousands of years and um, that breath is really such a powerful gateway to your, your state of physiology and your state of mind as well. Just, just for listeners who don't know, tinnitus is actually um, such a severe problem that people actually suicide because of it. It's so hard to live with, but I don't want to go down that road too much. <laughs> I know you're good, um, but it is actually that's how um, that's how powerful what Jonathan is talking about is in in someone's life is that um, this is such a serious problem. Some people just can't actually cope with it. You know, thankfully, it, it it was it was. I mean, we we've talked about this in the past, but it's it was pretty devastating for me for a long time. And when you look on the internet, um, if if you're one of the people where you know you sort of have it at a level where it really is that disruptive, it's you don't you probably don't want to look on the internet because there's a lot of doom and gloom. But this was, um, you know, the, adopting the practice for me was just really a really powerful way to to come back to a place where I was at first it took me from a really dark place to being baseline and then from baseline to actually really flourishing and being better than I was before. Yeah. I can't imagine you just, you just keep getting better all the time and you're, ugh, I can't even tell listeners how much <laughs> I just, I'm so grateful for this man in my life. You brought up something that is really so key. You mentioned that the first three minutes of your practice is pranayama. And the reason I, I, I hone in on that is I work with a lot of women, as you know, and a lot of women feel very overwhelmed. They're doing, um, they're out in the world jobs or work. They're often the primary ones coming home and, you know, shopping for groceries on the way home and then tending to the kids. And this is the case even for women who are, have full-time partners at home. And so I can imagine, I was imagining when you said that your morning practice was 25 minutes, a lot of women going, oh, yeah, well, I can't do that. And so increasingly what I have started to share with my patients with when I'm teaching is even if you can just have a three-minute morning practice and yes, grind your coffee, don't check your email. That's a big thing for me is really, really having mm. my patients and my students and people who are checking in with me on, on in the social media world is a big teaching is please don't check your email or your or your text messages before you do your morning practice. Because once you do that, you're in everyone else's agenda and it's very hard to get back to your own. What do you think about for women who are listening who just can't feel that they can fit in a 25-minute morning practice right now, having a three-minute practice as a way to start the day? Yeah, I so agree with you. I, I love the the idea of a three-minute practice. In fact, when I was creating the book, one of the things that we did was we, we have a whole bunch of extra resources. And I so I'm creating a, a bunch of guided mindfulness practices too. And they, they'll vary in range from three minutes all the way up to, you know, like longer ones. But it's less, what I found is that it's actually less about how long you do it for. And it's, a, it's more about committing to do it regularly. So if what you have is three minutes in the morning, do three minutes in the morning. And even that, it seems almost absurd that three minutes is going to do anything, but it really does. I mean, it really makes a difference. Um, and what you find is that 
it's almost like what you were saying about it. You know, it takes less time to go out and back the more you do the practice. What you find is that you you can drop into a better place faster over time so that, you know, you could probably even make the argument that you, you don't need as much. You know, I do it just because I've, you know, I built my life around this and also because, you know, there's – I live with something where I have a constant reminder 24-7 of where I can go when I don't do it. But most people don't have that. You know, it's sort of an extreme example. But if you're just really trying to live with the pace of life these days and find a way to just be a little bit stiller and reclaim a little bit of a sense of awareness and calm and joy in the moment, yeah, a couple of minutes in the morning is awesome. And you can even think to yourself, and I'll do this, it's not unusual for me to do this for a few minutes before I go to bed too, as part of an evening ritual, is that, you know, I'll just kind of lie there and I'll put I'll put one hand over my heart, I'll put one hand on my belly as I'm lying in bed, I'll close my eyes, and I'll just do a really slow bit of breathing. Um, not so much, you know, a measured pranayama, but really just taking slow inhales and just allowing my exhale to ease its way out. And it's, it's amazing how much it calms your body and your mind. And, um, yeah, I, I think some really interesting things happen on a, you know, on a consciousness level when you start to deepen into a longer practice, but in, in order to get a lot of the, the day to day shifts, state shifts, in my mind, it's not so much about um, you know how long you sit for. It's about the fact that you're committing to doing it on a daily basis. This idea of committing to something on a daily basis is um, so important. Uh, and I think for everyone, and there's a special message in it for women and women who are moms, I think particularly as women from our youngest ages, we've been taught to put everyone else first, to say yes to everything, to be good girls. And well, I'm certainly, you know, I'm all about making giving and service and that sort of aspect of generosity first in my life, for my family, for my friends, for my community, for the tribe that has the generosity to check in with me and follow me on, on social media and in my books and so forth. One of the big things that's happened for me over the past couple of years, and Jonathan, you and I have talked about this in our personal conversations, um, and you have a chapter on it, which is... Um, practicing the loving no. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me in incorporating this bucket practice into my life is um, it's it's not so much what I say yes to because I've tended to say yes to too many things. It's what I'm comfortable saying mm -hmm. no to. And I wonder um, for the you know busy women who are listening, if, if you can chat a little or a lot about this feeling good about practicing the loving no. Yeah. Wow. It's such a, it's such a big challenge for so many of us, especially if you're kind of wired to give, if you're kind of wired to be of service, you know, and you know that you have the capabilities, the ability to help to be of service. And if you're a compassionate person also, which means that you, you, to a certain extent, you feel the suffering, you feel the pain, you feel the angst and anxiety and needs of others. You know, it's really hard when people come to you and they want something of you that you're capable, you know, in theory, capable of giving them. You want to be able to just say yes to everybody because you know, that's the type of person you are. You know, the problem is there, there are two problems. One is that when we do that, um, it ends up leaving us so depleted that we don't have the ability. We, we basically give up the time that we need 
for to actually fill our own buckets enough so that we're capable of continuing to give. And we, we end up gutted. We end up completely empty. It's kind of interesting. I saw this. I you know, have a background in the yoga world. At one point, I, I owned a, a center in New York City, and, and I taught. And I also trained a lot of teachers. And what we found was that there was this thing that tended to happen with new teachers especially, which is once they started teaching, they, they would very often come to become teachers because they loved the practice and they practiced every day faithfully. And then once they started teaching and they, if they actually started getting clients and teaching around studios, they found that it was actually um, – they, they started to drop their own practice. And they start saying yes to all of these other classes and clients and students and stuff like that. And it's yes, 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 because they can help all these other people and everybody wants their help. And they found at the end of the day, they had nothing left to practice themselves. And it created this sort of like energetic death spiral where, you know, like then the next day you wake up a little bit depleted. So, and then people want more of you and then you feel that much more depleted and you feel like you don't have enough left to do a real full practice anymore. And it's really, it ends up so that you end up empty. And, and when you do that, at the end of the day, you, you can't help people anymore. So the thing that you really want to do, which is to be of service, you can't do. So it ends up self-defeating to actually say yes to everybody. Um, the other thing is that it just, it leaves you in a place where you can't do the work that you're here to do. You know, so one of the things that really leads to a good life is when you can fill that contribution bucket, which means that, you know, you're, you do the work that you do in the world. It fills you up, that it's really beautifully aligned with who you are, and it's deeply meaningful. And some of that may be satisfying the needs and demands of other people, but there's a good chance that there's something else too. Maybe you're an artist and you just need to spend time in a studio painting, you know, maybe you're a caretaker and you just really want to spend more time taking care of one or two or three people who are really in your care without the demands of everybody else also, um, because that's the thing that you're really committed to and lights you up. You know, whatever it may be, if you say yes to everybody else, if you don't know how to say no to the things that matter less, then it means that the things that really do matter to you, you have no time to actually do in a way that gives you meaning anymore, in a way that fills not just them up, but fills you up as well. So, you know, what I call the loving no is something, it's a practice that you have to, it's uncomfortable, especially in the beginning. But over time, if you don't learn how to say no to people in a kind way, you know, not just, you know, an arrogant, like I'm too busy for you, go away, but in a kind way, in a respectful way, then you end up basically subverting meaning in your life and ending up um, emptying out your buckets rather than filling them up. So, you know, I've ended up, you know, uh, um, I get a lot of requests for my for my time and for my energy, and I know you do too, Aviva, and I'm sure everybody listening to this does as well. And so what I've actually done is, you know, I've, I, I have certain scenarios where I know, you know, I have sort of, you know, I have language that I'll use in emails and I'll, and I'll customize it for each person, but language that I've kind of worked on a little bit where I feel like, okay, this is, here are a few sentences that allow me to say no to somebody in a way that's, that is, you know, offers gratitude for even being invited to help somebody in some way, um, is respectful, but also is firm. And saying that, you know, like, um, you know, the answer is no. And, um, and here's why. And, and what's interesting to me is that um, I've gotten a number of replies to that type of email from people saying, you know, I'm bummed out that you said no. 
and at the same time, you demonstrating that you're doing this on a regular basis in order to honor projects and commitments that you've made that you hold dear, it feels like you're actually giving me permission to now turn around and do the same thing to others. So thank you for that, which which wasn't the intention of doing that. But I found that modeling that actually in some way allows people who receive those to feel free to then turn around and do it. And that's I think that's really cool. I have to tell you, I had the same experience in a pretty big way, and it was so not what I expected, and it was so liberating for me. When I was working on that book, as you know, in that crazy crunch time, I really had to step back from some of my blog posting. I couldn't write this book and blog post every week. I mean, I could have, but it would have turned me so far inside out that there would have been nothing left. And so I skipped a few weeks of blogging, and I feel bad badly sometimes when that happens, because I know that there might be people out there who that blog is that touchstone of inspiration in their life for that week, or they're looking forward to it. So I don't like to disappoint. So I sent an email saying that I was really sorry, but I was very much trying to walk my talk about what I was writing in the book and, and how I was sharing as a possibility of a way to live, which is in a little bit more balance, even though there's not always work-life balance, there's that sense of being in harmony or in alignment with our own how we feel. And I sent out that email and I got back so many emails of people thanking me for giving them permission by my example to not always have to produce and perform and, you know, it's okay to break the rules once in a while and I was not expecting that. And it was very transformative for me, actually. Yeah. I mean, same same with me. I wasn't I was caught by surprise the first time it happened. Then when it happened a number of times, I was like, huh, unintended consequence, but actually really cool. It's like you're creating a ripple of 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 I, I struggle to say like you're giving other people permission to turn around and do it, too. But you're just showing them that it's possible and demonstrating a way to make it happen, which sort of lights them up and says, huh. Maybe I need to do this too. And that's a good thing in the end. Yeah, actually, women even wrote and and used that word permission. Multiple women use that word, thank you for giving me permission to stop. Or uh, I actually started using this language in my practice, permission to pause. Just permission to hit the pause button long enough to check in with ourselves. One of the things that you are especially genius at doing is creating tribe and creating community and creating connection. And so what I want to share with listeners, and um, maybe you can fill in more of this, is that this isn't actually just a book. It isn't just how to live a good life, but even if it was just that, it would be so transformative and so powerful. But you take it to another level, which is so typical of you in that you're really creating a tribe around this book and you invite you invite us as readers to not just do this alone but that we're doing it together and one of the quotes that we each actually have in our books is if you want to go fast travel alone if you want to go far travel together which is a, a beautiful proverb Jonathan can you share with readers what this tribe looks like what that when they become part of this book and this movement and they don't have to join the tribe 
but um, but that they have the option to do this with with you and with others. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. A big part of what we try and do is build community with everything. And it's been kind of fun because we've we've developed a lot of programs and events and different satellite communities over the years. So you know, like you mentioned the camp that we put on every year and there's this beautiful camp community that's in, been growing up and we, with different programs. And what I decided to do, um, we've actually wanted to do this for a while, but it, but I thought the book was just the perfect catalyst to do it, is to really create one bigger um, global community, um, really just for anyone who resonates with the idea of living a good life and a certain set of values that say that this is meaningful to me, so that um, both we could create a sense of belonging and have one place where people come together. We have a very international community with Good Life Project and, you know, from the people who listen to our media and come to our events. And I wanted to, you know, even though we still have these smaller satellite groups, I really wanted to create one larger place where everybody could come together. So we're launching this this bigger community along with the book. And it's really, you know, you don't have to, There's, it's not like a paid thing. There's no money. There's You don't have to buy into anything. It's really just saying, hey, listen, if you see the world the way we see it, if you believe that these things are important, raise your hand and say hi and join. And the other thing that I wanted to do was create the community because what I know is that behavior change is is hard. You know, even adding a simple little thing that can even be fun every day. What we know is the research is pretty crystal clear, is that if you do it alone, some people succeed. But if you do it within a community where other people are, are embracing these same behaviors along with you and they're supporting you and there's companionship and accountability and sometimes even commiseration and fun and joy and vulnerability and stories – that the likelihood of you continuing to do those things that really make a difference, you know, indefinitely, and the longer you do them, the bigger a difference it makes and the better life you live. The community is this huge unlock key for sustained action. And there's no magic. You know, sustained action is what leads to a better life. So community for me is also plays a second role of not just providing belonging, which is so important to fill your connection bucket, but also providing this other sort of container to support daily action, which allows you to actually really start to experience the benefits of all these like little changes, all these little things that you're doing on a daily basis. And that was important to me because I didn't want to just write a book. There's a lot of great information out in the world already. I wanted to create something that people would actually do. You know, it's to me, it's not enough to just say, hey, this is great information or, and or even maybe this is great entertainment. You know, it was it was important to me to go beyond stories and information and say, do this book, you know, and if you have people that you can do it with, go get a friend, go get two friends. If money is tight, just take the book out from the library. That's fine. And if you don't have friends locally or if you just want the support of a bigger group of people who are doing this too and see the world like you, then that's awesome. Come join us in the community. And, and it's really – it's in the form of a, a really simple – we just use a private Facebook group to support it online as the online hub. And then what we found over the years is that with our sort of more satellite communities is that people kind of fall in love to a certain extent and they end up – 
creating all sorts of ways to come together and play with each other on the ground in different places. So, you know, we know there's a weekly, they call themselves Gleepers, Gleeper co-working meetup that happens in Portland. And there's a, there's a regular meetup that happens in San Diego and in Australia. And um, so what we found is that, you know, it's great to start the, the conversation in the community online. And we, we try and create a really safe place to do that. And then you start to find people who are nearby you, and then you can really take it face to face. And that that's when things really become powerful too, when you actually, you transition and you actually get to know people and you have coffee with them or you see them on a regular basis that can deepen it in a really amazing way. So, you know, those are the reasons why with everything we've done, you know, we never just build courses or programs or events. We always build community as an integral part of those because it's just it's so important in our lives and it's so important to as a as a mechanism to to sustain all the little things that make life good Jonathan I'm going to shamelessly promote your book I'm promoting this book you guys I am not getting a penny <laughs> from promoting this book this is no affiliate program and I'm not promoting the book because Jonathan's my friend Jonathan is my friend. Well, because he's very compassionate to me. <laughs> he's like, lets me be his friend. Jonathan's my friend because of what's in this book. He is the kind of person that I am just beyond grateful landed in my life because of the way he lives his life and what he has translated of that into this book. It's a book that I actually think it's really, he's really funny. He's like a super funny guy. I have some of my funniest text messages back and forth with Jonathan and little emails that are just goofy and I love them. Wish I had saved every one of them. But the book is funny. The book is loving. The book is compassionate. The book is caring. The book is kind to you. The book is just kind for the world. So it's a great read through, but it's also the kind of book, it's, it's actually in the stack of books by my bed and I keep just picking it up and reading something else again and again, just to find a great quote that I saw something inspiring or just a little exercise that I can do in my day. And these pages, I mean, the exercises are like, you read them, it's three pages. You can read them forward to back. You can do them as a 30 day challenge for yourself, with your family, with your friends. Great to do through the holidays, but just great when you need like that little moment of inspiration, when you're feeling on the edge of the world is hard, your life is hard, things are a little hopeless as we can all feel when you're feeling overwhelmed. It's a great way to bring you back to yourself. If you're a mom and you're listening, these are amazing exercises to teach your kids when they're little, way more than learning about some of the things that our kids learn about when they're growing up in elementary school. If you have a business, great exercises to bring to a business meeting. And there's like endless uses for this. So Jonathan, tell us best ways to get the book and best ways to follow you and join the community, join the tribe, a good life tribe. Yeah. Well, number one, thank you so much just for inviting me on. It's, I love talking with you and it's such a pleasure and, and a gift to be able to share with your tribe also. And um, and thanks for thanks for your kind words about the book too, because I worked so hard on it. So it's nice to see it actually landing well and people loving it. The easiest place to find the book is goodlifeproject.com slash book, or you can also, it's available at um, basically everywhere, you know, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, pretty much books a million, anywhere you want, published simultaneously in Australia and the UK also, and hopefully a bunch more places soon. So for those of you outside of the US, it should either be coming to you soon or uh, either immediately or, or hopefully soon after. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 
Love you. Thank you so much. And um, I'm excited to someday visit the Good Life Forest <laughs> with you. We could take uh, a walk. Yeah, well, I'll have, we'll have to go walking there together. Thank you I so much. It. Okay, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I know this book will be transformative and simple. So I really highly urge you to get a copy because it's going to make your life a little bit easier and we can all use that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.